Facebook is one of the biggest and most effective marketing platform on the planet. It's huge. Almost everyone you know is on Facebook and quite a number of brands and businesses are spending millions of dollars to advertise on it, including small startups, mom and pop shops, local restaurants, and even churches. You can spend as little as you want and target specific audience you want at a micro level. But the problem is this. Most people have no clue how to run adverts on Facebook. They either double, waste a lot of money, or hire someone else to do it for them. So my team put together a short course to help you. It's called Facebook Ads Mastery Program. It's a comprehensive ebook and a video course on how you can launch and manage profitable Facebook ads campaign for your business. And we made it super affordable too. For less than $10, you can have access to this course. Go to www.backchannel.africa forward slash Facebook mastery. If that URL is too long, you can just go to the show notes of this podcast and click on the link and get access to the course. The next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future Podcast with your host, Dalton, coming up today on Building the Future. I lost money. I lost pride. I lost friends. I lost tears. I lost biggest mistake I made in all of those the one that's different this time is I moved home that's the big difference is that I was moved. the main difference the main difference had I moved home with music it would have worked had I moved home with the milk it would have worked because I had the right education and because I had the right training I thought that I could remote control the business and I wasn't ready to move back to Nigeria I was scared Building the Future Podcast Season 3 is brought to you in partnership with Flutterwave. Flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to Africa and building new businesses out of Africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. My guest today is someone I've heard a lot about before we finally met. Ekechi Nwoka is a CEO and founder at Minds.io, a startup that provides technology infrastructure which enable local institutions such as banks, mobile phone operators, retailers in emerging markets to offer credit to their customers. Minds use a combination of big data, AI and machine learning algorithm to provide on-demand credit rating and decision-making where there is no existing credit history. In 2018, Minds raised $13 million Series A funding from several VC within and outside Africa. I have a strong view and criticism against micro-lending businesses, especially in places where the poor pay disproportionate high interest rates. Ekechi made a strong counter-argument to my criticism and offered good explanation that changed my mind on a lot of them. Ekechi had an eclectic career that reads like a character from a novel. He has a PhD in computer engineering and had extensive experience working as a software engineer at Amazon. We had an interesting conversation about what it takes to start a company in Nigeria and then move his family to Lagos after decades of living in the United States. Ekechi's candor about his experiences and his self-reflection on his journey as an entrepreneur is refreshingly different. Our conversation is a masterclass on 
necessity of humility and the mental strength required to build a business in a tough environment. Okay, welcome, Ikechi. Thank you, thank you. We were just talking before I turn on the recording that you used to be a musician. I used to be a musician, yes. In the U.S.? In the U.S. What, what sort of song do you sing? Uh, I think of me like more like uh, Shade or Maxwell or Asha or maybe more like wait 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 Shade because you're mixed and she's mixed all no, the, the kind type of music, music kind of music. But but then you said people think that you are the, one of the baddest since fella. People would say that, but I mean I, I never <laughs> made it, so who knows? Okay, okay. <laughs> I never made it. Right, so. Why why the comparison to fella? Uh, well, you know, I was an instrumentalist. I played piano, bass, guitar. I had a band. I was singing. I produced all my own music, wrote all my own music. Interesting. Um, I had a studio. I was producing other artists. The two things that I think, it's like anything in business, right? I've tried many businesses. <laughs> music was one of them. Interesting. I'm just a typical Igbo man. I've tried, I have a nail salon. I've done import-export. I've sold uh, uh, computers. Is, I've done d- different things. This I've is done, after you had your PhD. After I had my PhD, uh, Okay, tell I've me. I've tried to that. import milk. I mean, there's I've tried to I've tried to start an e-commerce company. I mean, I've done it was only this one that hit. Did you get? It was only this one that hit. I tried and for various reasons, either pride or inexperience or like the music. I think had I moved back to Nigeria like uh, Tiwa and Banki and those people at that time, I would have made it. 100% I would have made it, but I didn't. So, yeah, it's life. Mm-hmm. So, your audience were Africans. They were starting MTV Bass right around the time that I was starting to come up. And I didn't really achieve any level of anything, but you know, I had a small, small kind of fan base. And they were looking for new artists. But I think at the time, MTV Bass wanted more people like Two-Face and people that were a bit more hip-hop, a bit more, you know, kind of for the younger crowd. My music was a little bit more mature. But then, you know, a few years later, Asha came out and it was a bit similar music and she did very well. So this is, my music was a bit similar, a bit similar. So it was mellow, a bit more mature, that kind of thing. And, um, right, interesting. Um, but, I, you know, two mistakes I made. One was just pride. So I ended up getting this deal uh, in the U.S. And I was pretty inexperienced and I just kind of screwed up the deal. And I don't want to go into details, but I screwed up the deal. Um, so I actually thought I was going to be like Alicia Keys, you know, like big. And, you know, that was just pride. So that didn't happen. Anyway, so then some guys were like, guy, Nigeria's blowing up. You know, you should move back to Nigeria and push this your music. I was like, no, you know, like my music is about to jump. It's about to hit. You know, I started seeing all these small, small articles about how I was this and I was that. And the thing got to my head. You know, so I really believed those articles saying that this guy is fantastic. You believe your own hype. Oh, my God. So, you know, you learn. Um, it was a great, was a great lesson. I was very, I was depressed for years because, you know, I put... 10 to 15. I didn't grow up playing music. I used to play a lot of football and basketball and I tore up my knee. I was about 19. And after that, I picked up the piano. And when I picked up the piano, I was like, ah, I can make money from this thing. You, know. you can, picked you up know. the piano after you were 19? Yeah, yeah. I started playing piano at 20. At 20, you learned it yourself? Yeah, I learned it myself. So I, I taught myself to play piano, guitar. I built a studio. I produced. So by the time I was about maybe 30, I was not ready. So there's two things. One is I started late in life. So by the time I was 30, I was a little too old to start. But also, I invested 10, 15 years of my life into trying to be this big music star-like fella. And it never quite happened for various reasons. So it was a good lesson. I was depressed for a long time <laughs> that I didn't make it, you know. But, but you know, I turned around and uh, said, okay, that, you know, let me try and face something else. And at the time, my wife was like, look, okay, I support this, your musical, but we need money. So, <laughs> 
<laughs> need to go and get a job. <laughs> Wives are reality checks and moves. Just like, look, time. we need to eat, you know. So I was like, okay, okay, my dear. But you were making some money, uh, like gigs. A little bit, yeah, gigs and stuff like that. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really, um, you know. It's just one of, you know, I've tried many things. That's one of the ones that failed. It's, okay. it's one of the bigger ones that failed. But then, you know, that led, that experience then led me to be a lot hungrier and more humble. Right? Interesting. When, you know, so when I came to Nigeria with this business, I was a lot more humble. So what I'm hearing is that that experience, even though it was horrible at that time, mm, but mm. it helped you to think about what you could have done better. Exactly. And exactly. then you apply that. In fact, most people in the world know me as a singer today. If you saw me on this, most people, Dozier is my middle name. Most people know me as Dozier. So most people, if they see me on the street, would be, ah, Dozier Alpha. You know, in the US? Anywhere. Most people, even my brothers call me Dozier. Do you, like, do you sing? In, do, you, do you have any time to sing in Nigeria? No, no, okay, no, so it's, it's in the US, basically. Years. I haven't done anything in years. I've just been focused on this music. You know, I mean, on this, uh, this business. You know, but I think, I think um, the lesson it taught me is a lesson in humility. I think mm-hmm. I'd have been a bit more humble. First of all, the deal that I got at the time, I would have taken it, right? And I tried to over-negotiate. And uh, I thought, because I'd started seeing all these fans, and you know, music is a funny thing. People start giving you adulation. They start recognizing you. I was even in the club one time. One girl from Colombia was visiting the U.S. and saw me and started screaming. And, you know, I was with a bunch of friends. They were like, ah, guy, and I saw you be. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, now. <laughs> I'm not big. <laughs> so, you know, it gets to your head a bit. And I think, um, you know, I didn't reach any, any level at all. But I think sometimes, you know, you get a bit, you get a bit distracted. So, um, anyway, it was a good lesson. So when I came to Nigeria, I decided very early on that I was just going to really, really try and adapt myself to the environment rather than try and make the env- environment adapt to me. So, I, you know, I think the experience, it also taught me to, you know, there's a very different type of people in the music business. So it taught me a little bit of how to interact with different types of people. So I think, and I've always been a social guy. I played football a lot. So I dealt with people from all walks of life, whether big man, small man, village man. I, you know, I interact with everybody pretty freely. So I think the experience uh, helped. I wish I could, I mean, I love music. I wish I could still do it. But, you know, you have to, you have to go where the... What, where what's paying you? You know, I have to go and follow, follow the... Okay, follow the, let's go back a bit before you started Minds.io. Sure. Um, looked at your profile. You had a PhD, yep. BSc, MSc in the same university. You were a visiting professor yep. for some time. A little bit like what my own path to, okay. <laughs> to, to um, entrepreneurship as well. A PhD and I stayed working in the university for some time. But you moved on to become a software Engineer, so you have that skill, you have that yeah. hard skill. Yeah. Even though if the if the music wasn't paying you, you could fall back to something. So no, said, I did. In fact, when I, I was a software developer, so what happened is I was doing the music on the side while I was working, you know, supporting my family, and, and then I completely, you know, left and then tried to do music full time for about three years. That was the time that I was, you know, trying to figure out exactly how I was going to package the business. And what you don't realize is in the music business, it really is a business. You have to think of it as like a shop or a trade you can't think of it as music and i was very caught up in the musical part of it how good the music was or what people were saying or writing about me i didn't really structure it as a business and um it's a big mistake you know it just kind of helped structure my thought process as i was you know coming out of that experience and then moving forward so when i went back into the workforce and then i went back to work for like maybe eight years another eight 
Eight years or something. Eight like years. That. So you just applied. It's like I'm gonna. I've got this thing dusted up your CV and then applied to a new job. Yeah, I mean, I have to I have to put food on the table. So you know. And you're living in San Francisco, right? I was living in San Francisco, and correct. that is an expensive place. Yeah, it's a great place. So let's talk about the ideation of Mindstart IO. Sure. And the other bit I want to talk about is how you came to Nigeria and some of the stuff you alluded to, how you adapted and some of the lessons there. But let's talk about the original ideation. I've read a little bit about it, but I really want to hear what led you to think through that problem and learn it as a solution. I'm also assuming that the solution that you have now has maybe evolved from the original idea initially. But we can talk about our ideation process. So it was an evolution, right? There wasn't an aha moment, at least not for me. So the way that the company got started is, like I said, I've always been a little bit of a hustling guy. So as soon as I went back to work after music, I was now thinking of what to do. So we were living in Uganda. So I was, my, my family was in Uganda at the time. So I was back and forth between Uganda and San Francisco. We used to live in the hills in this place called Mbarara which is a bit near the Rwanda border. Um, we're there for like maybe seven years, six, seven years. So, I, you know, because my family was there and I was in San Francisco, it's similar to many people, how they do it in Nigeria. So, except that it's reversed. So I was in the US, they were in Africa and I was going back and forth, you know. Anyway, so they've got these beautiful hills, very nice vegetation, and they have this wonderful cows who produce wonderful milk. So I decided the first thing I said is I'm going to import milk from Uganda to Nigeria. This was maybe six months after I went back to Fresh work. milk fresh milk but you can do this thing called ultra high treatment this is UHT which is how they're able to keep the milk in the stores without uh, power okay sometimes you can go to all these uh, stores you see the milk but it, what they do is they call it UHT you heat the milk to very high temperature for like four seconds and kill all the bacteria and then it can stay for months interesting but you can't keep it in a high temperature environment so at the time there was a lot of war in the Congo. So I couldn't get the milk across land through the Congo because of the war. You were planning to take the milk across land rather than by air? On road. No, by road, just because of cost. Cost, okay. You've got to come and compete with like, you know, coronation and all these things in Nigeria. So then I decided, okay, let me go around South Africa by ship. But then I couldn't control the temperature in the ship and the temperature control ships were too expensive. So I just couldn't quite make all the economics work and all this were milk. from you looking at it on paper or you actually tried it no this was all paper but i went yeah. far i went I was, you know i had gotten all the farmers i had gotten some money i had gotten distributors here and i just couldn't quite anyway so that, that that's that then i got into uh shipping computers from the u.s used computers so it turns out that typically the tech companies in the Bay Area, the typical computer lifestyle in the data center is about, um, the, for the servers, is about two years. Meanwhile, most people have three-year life cycles before you retire computers, and they can actually last for four or five years. So after two years, they actually write the computers off the book, and they recycle them. So they pay companies to come and remove these computers and get rid of them and take them to the dump. So I was like, ah, what I can do is I can build a recycling company. Those people will pay me to get the computers, and I'll ship them to Nigeria, and also sell them. I'll get double money. So, <laughs> so I started the business. Um, actually made money. It's quite a bit you, of money. You, you managed to pull out? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, I did the first couple of customers. I got maybe 400 servers. So I shipped the computers to Nigeria, sold them all. Um, and I think I did two shipments, okay? Now the problem is that... You know, the Wafi boys in the wharf, <laughs> you know, they handle business a bit different from how I handle business. 
So um, dealing with them was a bit rough. Again, I wasn't really used to doing business on a Nigerian level. So the guy was like, okay, what I'll do, eh? let me give you half the money. Then when the thing lands, I'll do that, and then, okay, so fine. Oh, you that. flew over to Nigeria and tried to negotiate your... No, I had, I had partners. So I had a partner on ground. I was getting the computers from there. I had right. set up the, a, distribution, a distributor here right. that would get the things, take it through customs and all that and all that. The, the, the long story is that these guys ended up owing me money. So they said, okay, if you move it, before you move it, we're going to give you half of it. Yeah. And then yeah, when yeah. it lands, yeah. we're going to give you the other half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they didn't give me the other half. You know, no, a normal story, which if you're not experienced, like if I had to do it over again, I would say no way, right? Anyway, so mm-hmm. I decided not to continue that business. Um, and then what else did I try to do? Then I, long story, I tried to start this e-commerce company. It's actually pretty well known. That didn't work out. I don't want to go into details on, on, on record. Um... So this is actually my fourth attempt at doing business in Nigeria. Actually, my fourth. So my fifth. My fifth, fifth attempt. Because music was the first. Then I tried to import milk. Then I tried to import computers. Then I tried to do e-commerce, and now I'm doing credit. <laughs> and this is the only, this is the one that hit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's five times. So I've been trying to move home for ten years. Yeah. yeah. For ten years, you've been trying to do something in I've been Nigeria. Trying, I've been trying to come back to Nigeria. For the fifth time, lucky. Yeah. So I, I want to. I want to really underline that a bit for some people who are hearing this. A lot of people listen to this podcast from the U.S. actually. Oh, I see. Okay. And some of them, the the reason why they listen to it is to understand what is happening on the continent and see how they can get in. So sometimes the first thing is not what actually works. You need to sometimes pay the dues, do a lot of work. Ah, I lost money. I lost money. I lost money. I lost pride. I lost friends. I lost tears i lost i'm <laughs> telling you i was there yeah. anyway you live and learn so so was there a time that you think okay forget about this i'm just gonna get just do my job at um, amazon just be earning whatever i'm earning just forget about this stuff what what was driving you in the midst of all of that failure and challenges you know, I'm not sure. I My father wasn't a businessman. My father was a professor. I don't know whether it's like just Igbo blood or I'm not sure. But I've always, always, always tried to be somehow hustling somehow. <laughs> you know, I got the PhD, got together with my friends in, probably when we all finished graduate school. And we wanted to come to Nigeria and start a, a business that connects banks so that you'd be doing interbank transfer. Well, two years after we came to Nigeria, we decided not to do it. And two years after we came to Nigeria, InterSwitch started. Wow. Right? So um, if there's no connection. I'm just saying that yeah, the, opportunity, yeah, yeah. the opportunity... The opportunity was there. Yeah, you yeah, saw it, yeah, 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 but, but you didn't go for it. But the biggest thing, I think, biggest mistake I made in all of those, the one that's different this time is I moved home. That's the big difference. Is that I moved, was the main difference. The main difference. Had I moved home with music, it would have worked. Had I moved home with the milk, it would have worked. Each time... I thought I could, because I had the right education and because I had the right training, I thought that I could remote control the business. And I wasn't ready to move back to Nigeria. I was scared, to be honest. I know for many years I was scared. And I was like, ah, can I really? I've been in the you know, U.S. so long. Can I really move back? How long were you in the U.S. for? 30 years. 30 years. So, and you have your, your family is established there, and you have this rhythm of life that yeah, is comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Very, com- very comfortable. I was in the Bay Area, you know, software developer for Amazon. I was making good money, real good money, real good money. <laughs> House, cars, you know, those types of things. But I just like Nigeria. <laughs> 
Is it because you saw a lot of opportunity here, challenges and opportunities that it can enable you to have outsized impact and return for your effort compared to the US? Yes. So I think there are two reasons why I think I've I, I think I've always wanted to come back. I think I feel just personally a bit more comfortable in Nigeria than I do in the US. I just I don't know how to explain it, but you know the US life is you go to work, you come home. You go to work, you come home. If you have some friends, maybe you see them on the weekend. Like I was explaining to you earlier, in Nigeria, you know, like even you now, you you've come. I just met you. Mm-hmm. The people come into your life much more often and much mm-hmm. and much in a much richer way mm-hmm. in Nigeria. The social relationships are stronger. I have staff all around. I have relatives living in my house. My wife has a big family. So even though sometimes it's annoying, but there's always people. My social life, my happiness level is much bigger. My my wife is happier. My children are happier. So you know, why am I in the U.S.? You know, so. Um, so Nigeria has its faults. You know, there's not really good hospitals. There's no power. There's no water. There's no road. <laughs> you know, but I think I think um, you know you if you can get yourself to a certain level, then you can you know build infrastructure that you know, accommodates you know for those things. So since I've been home, like I said, when I first moved home, I was staying in a one room, in a room in my in-laws. Sometimes there was no AC and things like that, and a mosquito was biting me. I got malaria like three, four times. In the last wow. in the first two years I was here, I got malaria four times. Two were cerebral malaria where I couldn't think, I couldn't speak, right, wow. for a couple of days. And then two were drug resistant, so I had to go to the hospital multiple times. Um, I've had food poisoning. I was on drip just here in Britannia because um, I went to eat at Ikai Nkwa in one Mamapu place. Uh, so, you know, these things are part of the experience coming home. Um, but if you can make it through, like, I'm, I'm very happy with my life. I'm, I feel fulfilled. I'm able to contribute to the building of the nation. And as an Igbo man, I'm able to chase money. I mean, that's, I just like to be direct about that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I'm able to pursue these opportunities in a way that I, for me, I can't in the U.S. Some people have that skill to go to the U.S. or U.K. and do that. I never quite got down the lingo and the grammar and the whatever. Whereas in Nigeria, I'm much more comfortable. You know, I'm just like, guy, let's do it now. I'm ginger. Let's go. Let's move. <laughs> and uh, I'm just able to, I don't know, I'm just able to, I'm just more comfortable. I okay. Before I ask about, again, about the, the ideation and how it evolves into Mindstart.io, sure. let's talk about your experience moving back gradually for two years before you finally moved totally and stayed for a longer time. Was it every other month? And, and well, it's actually not that different from my life now, but it was a it was a mental thing. So I think one one big difference I think with this company versus the other companies, we actually raised a, a funding round in the U.S. So let me actually go back to your ideation question. I think it's important as a backdrop. You know, my partner is Kunle, who's a professor at Stanford. Okay, and we formed the company as a U.S. company. We actually originally had you know, I mean, we're both Nigerian. Of course, we'd love to do something in Nigeria, but that wasn't part of the story originally. We were going to build a big data platform in the cloud. Um, and about six months in, you know, we decided that wasn't the business we wanted to be in. I don't want to go into too much detail, but we decided that wasn't the business we wanted to be in. And then we started looking for uh, a way that we could, uh, a place we can point the company to try and, and, and generate revenue. Um, and then discovered this huge opportunity. And I didn't realize it was an opportunity. I started, I started hearing about these guys that were credit scoring off of phone data in East Africa. And Kunle and I was like, ah, we were like both. Are you serious? And so we, you know, met one of them and said, this thing is, does it work? I mean, how do you guys do it? And they started describing, you know, and they were actually looking for, you know, we come from a machine learning kind of big data machine learning background. So they're like, we're looking for data science and machine learning engineers. We're not quite getting that this thing. So Kunle and I was like, we were like both, oh, 
No, but we get the machine learning now. <laughs> and these guys were not African. Yeah. And the risk, especially the risk in money. East Africa, you know, most of the founders yeah. in East Africa are not actually African. Of so course. we're like, ah, can we allow these uh, people to come into Africa and be doing it? We should be doing it now. So we immediately started making calls to Nigeria. And within maybe two weeks, we had hooked up with uh, a couple of people here and, and started. And maybe two months after that, I took my first trip to Nigeria. And about two months after that, I moved. You moved? I you moved. literally stopped working where you were? Yeah, no, I, had, I stopped working already, but okay. I was, but you know, but it's also like, I, you know, I actually spend half my time out of the country still because we've got, you know, engineers abroad and I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of global development. So, um, business development. So, um, but then I started, you know, uh, you know, I got a driver's license. I started moving my things from the house slowly, slowly. And I was going back and forth. You know, I stayed with my in-laws, like I said, a couple of years. I was using Uber to run around and... And all that, and then you know, as the business started to take hold, um, then I, you know, started looking for a place. You know, I started looking for a car. Then I started talking to my family more in more permanent terms. You know, before it was like, let me see, let me see. Then it was like, okay, no, let's start seeing how you guys can come. This is about three years ago. Then we started, you know, started the internal family conversation. You know? So, and then my kids now stopped saying they now started to say, my dad lives in Nigeria. So it was a, it was a more of a mental. I don't know if the amount of time I spend has really changed. Although at that time I was spending a lot of time in Nigeria. I was actually because I was doing. So now I go back and forth quite a bit. At the time I was spending more time in Nigeria. I was staying in Nigeria for like three months at a time. Things three like months with the government. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I'd already quit my job and had raised around. So I think we were in a little bit of a unique position right. because I actually had you know capital to, mm -hmm. to, to to do this. So yeah, so I started uh, you know, uh, focusing also just focusing on Nigeria. The conversations in the house started to change from American events to Nigerian events. My politics discussions started changing from you know Trump to Buari. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so it was a it was a it's a kind of a gradual kind of a gradual process. But um, I'm you know kind of conceptually at least you know moved uh, yeah moved four years ago and then you know uh, once once about two years in after running around. Uh, Then I got this place and I got a car under advice from people, right? Because they were just like, guy, you, you can't do business in Nigeria driving Uber. You can't, you can't do business in Nigeria driving Uber. People need to know that you're here in Lagos. Because mm -hmm. people would ask me, ah, okay, are you, are you still coming and going? Or where, where are you? Are you still over there? Why are you here? And I'll be like, oh, I'm here now. Eh, okay, where's your place? Let's come and see your place. <laughs> I said, hey, I'm staying with my in-law. Eh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, with your in-laws. Okay, no problem, no problem. Okay, no problem, no problem. Then you won't see them again. Because right? they don't want to do business with you. They thought that you are not permanent. Fully committed. Fully committed. It's a, com it's a commitment. It's a commitment. All thing. of us know how hard it is to do this stuff in Nigeria and how long, how long it takes. You can't, you can't come in and out. Nobody takes you seriously. Even today, if somebody walks in front of me, like somebody from Germany comes down and said they wanted to do business in Nigeria, It's funny, I've become one of those people. So I'll not be like, eh, okay, no problem. <laughs> no problem. Well, when, you when, when, you're, when you land now, I'll be here. Then when they land, if they're speaking grammar, I say, okay, no problem. When, go and come back, we'll be here. They'll be, be here. It's only when you've made the full commitment and I can see it, you know. And there's also, you know, in Nigeria, because the institutions aren't strong, because it's hard to sue people, it's hard to enforce contracts, the way people mitigate risk is by family relationships, stronger relationships. And if you're not here on ground to enforce those relationships, I can't go to your brother to complain mm. that you didn't pay me or whatever it is. I can't go to your mother. I can't go to your friend. You know, like, it, it, you know, the way people mitigate risk here is different and kind of from developed countries. So you really do need to be here. Mm. You just need to be here. And so, so anyway, yeah. So then, uh, so, so then I moved and then started driving the business. 
And then once we raised the second round of financing, um, then I bought the bank. Um, and then we started. You bought a microfinance bank. I bought a microfinance bank. And okay, let's talk a bit about the business itself. Sure. What problem you're trying to solve? You, you talk about that machine learning, using that to do credit bureau sure. for people. And then how you then built that to become what we now know as Mindstead Hire, which is sure. like an infrastructure for credit. Sure. Uh, for organizations that want to provide credit to their customers or to their, or, and utilize their data. How right. did that evolve to that business? Sure. So um, I think it's important to also note that, you know, people tend to, especially at our age, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not children anymore, so we're less malleable. So people tend to revert to the habits that they've built up over their life. So if you think about me and Kunle, we, you know, um, Kunle is a much bigger name than me, but I was also a professor of computer science. You know, he's a much bigger one, but we're both professors of computer science, computer scientists. So we tend to think like computer scientists. We tend to build like computer scientists. We don't think like bankers. We don't think like hedge fund managers. We don't think like investors. We think like computer scientists. So the main problem we're trying to solve, I'll talk about that first and talk about how we're trying to solve it. So the problem we're trying to solve is a global problem. It's a well-known in Nigeria as a lack of access to credit. Okay, but it turns out that there are over 3 billion people in the world that have this problem. Many of them are in developing countries like Nigeria, Indonesia, India, Pakistan, Philippines, Brazil, whatever, right? Egypt. So it's, a, it's the same problem you have in Nigeria, similar uh, lots of places. Such a big, big, big market. So again, as business people, we're like, ah, market deal. <laughs> That's number one. But let's go and start at home, you know. So that's one. But the way we are trying to solve it, is, uh, is, is somewhat unique. Um, and the effects of this lack of access to credit is um, it really impacts people's lives. Imagine if you're a taxi driver in, uh, in Shomolu. Okay, you just need, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how much it costs to fix a tire. Let's say you bust your tire. I don't know how much it is to fix it. Let's say 5K, I don't know. But let's say it's 5K to fix your tire. Now you don't have that cash. What do you do, right? If you need 5K to fix a tire, in order to earn the 5K, you need to drive. Mm -hmm. But you can't uh, drive unless you have the 5K. <laughs> so then you have to go ask your brother or your sister yeah, or somebody. Yeah, people go to family. Yeah, family members. And they start asking, why do you need the money? They start asking you embarrassing questions. They start asking you all this. And you start explaining, oh, my taxi, my this, my that. And it's just a long and you know, very public process. So that's one. And this problem is all over the world. Like if you're in the village, you need money for school fees. If you don't have it, your, school doesn't, your, ch your child doesn't go to school. So we you know, fundamentally believe that the well-being of people in Nigeria and across the world, um, that access to credit can actually affect their daily life. If you want to go in, like today now, there's a problem in Nigeria where these pharmacies, right, people come in to buy drugs right, for whatever ailment they have. Um, but they might have money this week and they may not have money next week. What if your prescription is supposed to be every week? They just don't take the second one. Right? They don't have the money. And it really affects the way that the drugs interact in their body. And ultimately, these people die, right? Mm. So there's real-life consequences. When you go to the doctor, if you don't have money, they don't take you in. This is not America. If you don't have money, they won't let you in the hospital, right? And so you need cash to survive in Nigeria. And this is the same in all of these countries. So that's one. So, um, so the human aspect of the problem is very appealing to us to be able to contribute in a real way to the development of Nigeria as a country. So that's very, it still is very appealing. It me get, what makes me get up every morning. Then, of course, there's the opportunity to make money, which I think is, is also normal. Um, but the way we're going about it is different. So there are basically, 
you know, now that the space is sort of maturing a little bit, you know, you see all these lenders, let's give you money, no collateral, all this, okay. But there's kind of three ways of solving this problem. So you have a group of companies um, that work only with telcos, okay, and they either do airtime lending, most of them, or sometimes they try and do cash lending. There's a couple of companies that do that around the world, but they'll typically credit a telco mobile wallet. These are for telcos that have mobile money licenses in other countries. It doesn't work in Nigeria. So they'll, you know, based on the phone records of the individuals, they'll assess them and then credit their mobile wallet. And then they can then get the money from the mobile wallet. And then when it's time to pay, they debit the mobile wallet. So that's a fairly simple thing. Then there's another group of people, um, and all these are legitimate big businesses. I mean, mm-hmm. they're legitimate approaches to solve the problem. Then other people have built Android apps. So you may see, you know, uh, guys that I like a lot, which are the OneFi, OneFi guys have a great, a great uh, product called Pelita, which a lot of people know. Yeah. And uh, there are international players like Tala and Branch. Yeah. You know, on the other side, on that telco thing I just described, there's like Tiaxa, Channel Vas, people like that, you know, that, that do airtime lending and the like. And so these guys will, you know, write an Android app, you'll download the Android app, mm-hmm. then they'll scrape your data off the phone. Oh, um, they SMS have access and, to yeah, your data. From your access from your, through, you will now give them, say, okay, I, I agree that you can read my SMS and all that. You know, they'll create an internal credit score and then be able to deposit uh, a loan in your mobile money wallet if it's not in Nigeria or your account, your, your bank account. Um, all, of, all of those uh, approaches are very viable, and these guys are all growing. They've all got great businesses. We um, approach it quite differently, and we approach it quite differently because of our backgrounds. Right? So because we're computer scientists, we decided we were going to build a platform, a technology platform that was going to enable local institutions um, to extend this credit. And besides the fact that it's our natural inclination to build platforms and technology, right? and I don't think any of the other guys are all uh, technology guys, are all business guys, which is fine. But our natural inclination is to build technology. And I come from a, because I worked in the cloud for many years, I come from a, a background of building platforms, mm-hmm. right? So does, so does Conley. So it's our natural habit to try to build a platform, right? Secondly, we're not bankers, right? So we don't have the banking expertise that the bankers have. We're not telco guys. We don't have the telco expertise. So we decided, well, what are these people really missing? They have capital. Capital is in Nigeria. Capital is not a problem. They have banks. Banking is not a problem. What they don't have is technology. Let's supply what they don't have and not try to disrupt the whole banking system. Interesting. So that's how we decided to approach it. Moreover, from a nationalistic point of view, I don't think the banks need to be disrupted. It is important for particularly developing countries for their national sovereignty and independence from IMF, World Bank, more powerful countries to have more control over the national economy. Mm -hmm. That means that the banking sector actually needs to be quite strong. So if you try and disrupt the banking sector, you make the country weaker. That's my belief. People could Mm -hmm. disagree, but that's my belief. Part of the argument has to do with who is disrupting, whether that person is a local company or not. I feel much better if it's a local company disrupting. I don't mind as much. But when it's a foreign company, I take offense. I'll just tell you, I take offense. Go back home. Yeah, that's be- how I feel. Because th- sometimes the disruption might be necessary to provide more efficient, more, more effective service to the people. To right? To people. To the people, yeah. But those people are in a position, in that position from the beginning because of the infrastructure problems in the country already. So if you're going to disrupt, if you're going to now skip all those guys, go straight to the end consumer, and then that local infrastructure never develops, right? What country do we have? We don't have a country. Look at how dominant Safaricom is in Kenya, right? Is that what we want in Nigeria? Is that really what we want? And would you say Safaricom is not a local company? Mm, I won't get into that. I won't get into politics like that. But yeah. 
I would just say that you know let's let's take uh, let's take other companies that are completely foreign. Yeah. Right. That come into Nigeria, these countries. I take offense. They should go back home. I'm sorry. But 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 again, and and, and 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 the reason I say that, and it's very controversial, mm. you know. So I, I know you understand good. it, but but the, the point is that long term, it does not help. It doesn't help. It helps short term. So the people that they help. Yes, they get them finances and all that. But do you really want a foreign company to be the biggest bank in Nigeria in 10 years? Is that really what we want? I think we have to answer that question, right? Um, so I don't. Right? Right. I, I've taken a position on the matter. And so because I've taken a position on the matter, I, you know, our approach is to enable the local banks and the local telcos and the local merchants to provide this credit. And then we share revenue. Interesting. That's our approach. Also, the profit that is made from this, where does it go? Does it sit in Nigeria or does it go outside? So when you say they're helping people, how are they helping people? So because they're helping people because the person can get 10K, then that value never goes back into the economy to build infrastructure for the future. So if that company ever pulls out because they're not local and they're not Nigerian, what then happens? You're not building the country. We're not building the nation, right? And so it's not like I'm, I'm interested in like giving profit away for free, but I do think it's important to focus on partnerships. Yeah. And it's important to focus on what you do best. And what we do best is technology, not banking, not telco. What we do best is technology. So our philosophy, and look, everybody has a right to approach yeah. business how they want. So I'm not really trying to cast aspersions. I'm just telling you my honest opinion, right? In order for Nigeria to prosper, I live here now with my wife and children, okay? In order for my children to be you know, healthy, fulfilled, and my relatives in the village and all that in 10 years, the local institutions need to be strong and efficient. And if you simply come over as a foreign country and disrupt the entire local economy, and that doesn't help my children in the future. And it's not in my interest to do that. So I do, I am a little bit of a sort of nationalist and kind of you know, pro-Nigerian type of guy but, like that. But we can also talk about what, what makes a foreign, what makes a company foreign. Okay, so there's some local, a lot of startups in Nigeria now are not, okay, founded by Nigerian founders, totally Nigerian. Yeah, if you're Nigerian founder, but then, yeah, that's but fine. But then the investment is coming from outside the sure, company. You sure, are now sure, domiciled sure, in, sure, in Delaware sure, 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 or sure, Mauritius. Sure, sure, what sure. makes a company local? Is it the founders or the, or the, me, people, found, or the for investors? For me, it's founders. It's founders. But, for me. That's, but, me. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Like, you know, most of the... For, look, there's lots of reasons why a lot of the companies, lots of logistical reasons why they have their headquarters outside, right? It's easier to raise investment. It's more, you know, it's, you can enforce the regular... You know, can enforce the agreements and so on and so forth. You can enforce the IP protection. Um, so you're just not going to be able to run your business if you don't put your headquarters outside. But And again, it could be irrational. You could see it as protectionist, but I don't care. That's my point of view. Yeah, but so I, suppose- I just... I, I see... I think if somebody's sitting in New York in a cushioned office, air-conditioned, fine, and then you come into Nigeria like that, like that, and think you, no, go back, go and stay in the U.S. and do your business. Well, we're okay, we're okay here. We have enough Nigerian founders to cover the country. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, I'm sorry, that's just how I feel. But, but there's also a pragmatic um, view about what you're doing. Okay, so it's easier for you to ride a wave than to go against it. So the banks are ready, they have, they're well capitalized, they're bigger. It's better for you to build a platform that supports what they're doing because you can make you can easily make huge impact on money that way yeah. than for you to try to add on fight them and be a disruptor I, or compete with them. That's one point of view. I, I think both approaches are fine. We have just taken a particular approach, mm. right? I think if you're a Nigerian and you say, I want to be the biggest digital bank of the next century, oh, that's a perfect, and I want to disrupt the banking system, that's a perfectly legitimate business approach to take. Um, and there are people doing that and doing it well. Um, I just don't share that strategy, right? I'm a much more partnership-driven guy. Plus, I didn't live in Nigeria for the last 30 years. 
So it's much harder for me to come in and try and be disruptive when I don't have the local relationships and all that. So the way for us to be successful coming back as repats is to partner with people who do have that kind of strength on ground, who are going to be the banks and the telcos and the central bank and NCC and those guys. Um, and so we really see ourselves as enablers of the Nigerian financial ecosystem. Um, and think about, again, long term, what happens in 10 years? Right? It's not just let's go and make money, shop, shop. What happens in 10 years when there are many lenders, when there are all sorts of people in the market? Where will we be? If half of them are not Nigerian, is that really what we want? I keep asking that. Mm-hmm. Is that really what we want? The big, so like in, in 10 years, the whole banking system will be different. Some of these digital banks and these apps are going to be some of the bigger banks. And some of these other banks that exist today will not be in existence. Mm-hmm. Right? That's going to happen in 10 years. But you have to ask yourself, as a nation, do we want to control our economy or not? The same questions are being asked in India. The same questions are being asked in Indonesia. Right? And so every country, I think there are three pillars of a nation. You want a strong military. You want to own your own military. You want to own your own economy. You know, and you want to own your own, gov- your own governance. Right? Um, and I think removing the ability to control one of those pillars, you know, turns you into a colony. So I, these are all controversial points of view. I, I, I get it. I don't think I just feel like, I just feel it's important to think holistically mm-hmm. about where you want to play in the market. And we have just decided that the best place for us to play in the market is to be a service provider to the existing institutions. Plus, we think you're going to have better products. They understand banking. I mean, there's no way you can get 30 years of banking knowledge in two years. You can't. So why not partner with the people who know how to do it and you bring your own technology and together you go and build the best products. Um, so now the reality is dealing with the Nigerian banks is hell. That's what I was about <laughs> dealing to Dealing with ask. the telcos is hell. It's how did hard. you get into that? What was the process like? Your um, first deal, your first uh, partnership? So the first partnership was Nine Mobile, I, and then I bought the microfinance bank as part of that partnership. So when I first went to Central Bank, Central Bank says, look, telcos, and I said, look, we've got this technology, blah, 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 you know, we're coming from Stanford, all this big grammar. And the guy's like, guy, it needs to be banking. Okay, you need to get a bank. I said, okay, no problem. So I went and got a bank. Then we said, we're going to work with telcos. They said, we have two telcos that cannot lend. Okay, pause. You want to get a bank. So you already said that you raised some money in the U.S. So yeah. let's deep dive into that buying the bank. So, so before that, we started this project with Nine Mobile. We started like we ran a pilot. We you know first sort of you know um, you know worked with some data, worked with some customers, started working a pilot. You know, and to what make sure was the this, thing. What was this project about? It was just to extend credit. Extend credit through Nine Mobile. Through Nine Mobile. Then it is a lot. It was called yeah. Then at that time, it was called it is a lot. And then because the only way we could credit bank accounts was through a switch. We ended up doing a partnership with InterSwitch and Nine Mobile. So InterSwitch handled the movement of the money into the customer's account and the payment, and then Nine Mobile handled the customers and all that. And you were doing this from your balance sheet. Correct. 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 Um, but that. So, but but even before we could launch, when I went to ask, you know, the regulators how we could do it, they said, "Yo, yo, guy, you need a bank." So. When we started talking to banks, they were interested, but they're like, ah, our board meeting is in three months, we'll discuss it then, blah, blah, blah. it just doesn't work for startups. We then bought a microfinance bank um, as a way to make sure that we were compliant with the existing regulation. What I didn't want to do is go to CBN and start asking them to change anything. And you don't want to partner with a microfinance bank? Was mm-hmm. it easier to buy? It was easier to buy. And was it, it how much were we talking it, about uh, here? Um, I, I won't get into that in public, but I will say that it, well, it wasn't easy to buy, but it's easier than trying to partner with a microfinance bank. Um, so it took me about six months. I went, this, it was the third bank I tried. It's the first bank 
when we started doing due diligence, of course, the books didn't match what, uh, you know. <laughs> so then the second bank, um, there's another problem with it. I can't quite remember. I have to go back to my notes. And then the third bank was actually a very clean bank. Uh, so I was very happy. So I bought the bank. Um, but I can tell you that the price of the bank doubled in the middle of the negotiation in typical Nigerian style. Doubled. <laughs> Doubled, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and uh, this was paying the founder to bye bye. You can now go funny to Bahamas. Enough, funny enough, I kept the guy and he's running the bank today. He works for me. The guy I bought the bank from. Interesting. But we developed a fantastic relationship. He's a really, really good guy. But he's a sharp businessman, which is why I kept him. So in the middle, of, it's a true story. You should ask him if we ever get, if you ever get introduced. So in the middle of buying the bank, he's like, oh, guy, I don't know what you need this bank for, but I know you want it. I know I have what you want. So, because I need to do this, 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 so the bank will now be. The, 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 <laughs> I said, this guy, this Niger, this guy. <laughs> but I was desperate to move. And to be honest, the, the cost of that bank was inconsequential in the overall business. Mm -hmm. So I paid and I got the bank. And once I got the bank, then we now applied to, um, to NCC uh, for permission to launch, and they granted it. Um, and so we launched. And so you launched with um, It Is A Lot then? As a pilot. We ran a pilot. pilot for one year. Um, we studied consumer behavior. We studied repayment patterns and just, you know, made sure that it, there was a lot of concern around regulation, particularly because it was a bank-telco partnership. So we just wanted to make sure we had all the regulatory stuff right, that, you know, CBM was comfortable, that, you know, NCC was comfortable, all those things. So, so we did that. You know, got all the paperwork, all the, you know, approvals and all that. And then um, we launched the pilot for one year. Then we uh, launched publicly uh, in May 2017. We launched Quick Cash as a public product. As a quick public product. Yeah. And, and then it's like it was already in. They, sure. they loved it. Sure, they, sure, sure. And it was partnership that they're making money and you were making money. Yes, exactly. Um, but then you were spending money from your balance sheet. Correct. So we, we did that through the bank. And then what I then, so there's a few things that happened. Um, you know, my vision was always to build a platform. So once we did it with our bank, I then um, started working with other banks um, who would then bring their balance sheet. Um, that was also difficult, but because of the track record of the one year of results, it was a little bit easier to convince a couple of microfinance banks. I couldn't convince commercial banks initially. Um, so then they started running. We started for maybe another, I want to say six months, and then the first commercial bank now put down some money. So and the way it works now is that banks can join you and then loaning through your platform exactly, exactly and then the telcos and all those other people will be the distribution to, exactly. the, to the consumer exactly. rather than other people that will have done it themselves okay exactly. you download a app and then yes, they, yes, they get yes. the they get a consumer but you now have this customer acquisition cost almost zero it's almost zero yeah i mean you do have to do some marketing on your own because these are you know bigger slower organizations so for them to get the internal approvals get the budget for the marketing all that is slow so you you know we also do some promotions but it's not that much with them um, yeah, just on our own like we'll go like sms or we'll do whatever different types of promotions but, but, but what brand are you promoting so uh, we have a, a brand called quick cash which is now changing to quick money um, but all of the partnerships are co-branded. So when the bank launches, it will be X and X Bank Quick Money, almost like Visa. Okay. So Visa has a national brand, but you can only get Visa through a bank. Yes. So it's, it's, that's how we envision it eventually, that you really can only get Quick Money by going through a financial institution, although our brand will be at the end of it, so you so, know it's us. So you're building um, a credit card for... Yeah. Yeah, kind of an, eco an ecosystem, yeah, for kind of the underserved. Yeah, you can think of it as credit cards, yeah. Um, I mean, right now we're doing mostly like cash loans like everybody else, but you can think of it more like a credit card. Sure. What are the key differences that you observed compared to the maybe standard market where the default rate, the 
and was your machine learning and data enabling you to be able to uh, decide who should, who should get loan far better than maybe other people? Well, the first thing we saw is that Nigerians don't like to pay. <laughs> so before we started applying the algorithms, we wanted to test and see what's the natural repayment rate. The default rate was more than 50%. What? Yeah. And Ni- is that normal Niger- Niger- across board? Mm, that's not the case in East Africa. Those okay. numbers are not. Nigerians don't like to pay. That's the truth. And they are hard. They are hard people. So they don't fear a lot. So yeah, I've gotten the money. What are you going to do? And what? <laughs> <laughs> so, but as the algorithms got better, you know, um, that came down over a few months to under 10%, right? Um, Maybe because you are selecting better, better customers or algorithms. You know the algorithms are learning algorithm, right? So as as more data comes in, you get to learn a bit more, and so um, that's kind of how machine learning works. It's called that's why it's called learning. Machine learning is a mach- learning by machine. So the machine learned who to who to choose and not to choose, and so and then we also learned, you know, how exact, you know, what the right amounts to give people were. Something that I think surprised me is I thought, I didn't realize that the amounts that the algorithm would pick would be as small as they are. That was, that was surprising. And even 5K, 10K, sometimes people can't pay, which was also surprising, right? Um, so even for people that are middle class. because 5,000 5, naira, 10,000 yeah, Maybe naira. they didn't get paid that month or they had to go to hospital or one other thing, or they just are hard people and they don't want to pay, right? But, you know, we're just, we're really in the beginning of this credit you know it's a 10 to 15 year kind of cycle yeah. before before the credit market really matures so there's lots of interesting things long-term loans credit cards trade financing small business loans there's all kinds of things that are going to come into the market over the next 10 years you know we're just really scratching the surface how big is your loan book now um we've dispersed maybe eight eight, eight to ten billion something like that naira naira yeah yeah eight to ten billion naira something like that. i think it's something like true partners through partners yeah and and these are partners that wouldn't probably be able to have access to that kind of uh, yeah no, these yeah these partners wouldn't have had access to the technology you know if you try first of all if you can build it yourself which is very difficult to build it would take you two years so even if you had all the money in the world which some of like the telcos do for instance you know it, t- it would take them two years to build by the time they actually get it out market has moved mm-hmm. and lost so for them it just it makes a lot of sense to partner with somebody who has the technology ready available today and who will always have better technology right um because we have better technologists, and plus we're just focused. Every morning I wake up, I'm thinking about the technology. There's no way the head of a telco or a bank is thinking about technology when he wakes up in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you get? So you're just always going to have best-in-class technology. And, and you know, I have a motto, you know, that I live by, which is, you know, he who chop alone, die alone. Mm-hmm. So I, I've never been a go-it-alone. The, the times in my life, like just giving you, you know, if you talk about my history, some of those, a lot of those businesses I did by myself, and they failed. Right, so one big lesson I, I, I changed, you know, the last couple of times I tried to do business was always have partners, 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 partners. It's harder. It sometimes it's inconvenient. They don't agree with you. You have to negotiate, especially the big banks and the telcos. You know, they're also rough. They're powerful, so they have pricing power and all that. But if you can somehow find your way to find common ground, they actually influence your decisions in a much better way. They have a market experience. They have dealt with these customers. They know how to talk to them. They know how to shape the product. They know how to you know, maneuver the product. And you end up with a better product for the consumer. So the consumer wins, I think, when you have these partnerships mm. rather than trying to go it alone. So, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, I think we just, you know, we are, um, you know, very, very focused on being the engine that powers the local institutions. Um, and then that way, most of the money actually stays in Nigeria. The, the telco gets some, the bank gets some. The, and you can say what you want about big men keeping their money, whatever, but the, the money actually stays in Nigeria. We get some, 
Um, but most of the money stays in the economy and helps build the country. So we feel very happy about our model. Let's talk about your model, your revenue model. How does it work? So uh, I get, let's say I get 10,000 Naira loan from through your platform. Sure. Um, bank X is the one giving that loan. You, sure. do you, how do you choose which bank will give me the loan to start with? Uh, right now, our algorithms choose. You just choose. Yeah, okay, just so I'm going to choose whoever. Mm, but it depends. Like, if you came up, if like if you... So there are different channels, right? So we have like a website, we have uh, USSD codes from our microfinance bank, um, which a lot of the microfinance banks and other banks share our short code. So when a customer requests on our short code, we then it doesn't have to be our own bank that services the loan. But for example, if you come on a commercial bank short code, which the first commercial bank will be going live next week, if you come in on a commercial bank short code, of course we will not allow another bank to, you know, to service those customers. So that's more of an insular. So if you come in on a commercial bank short code, how do I get that channel? What, what are the channels? I have to download your app, or I have to go to a T-Salat and say I want a loan. No, oh, well, you would, you would just you, would, you would just like you would see typically a customer would get an SMS from a bank or from us. Okay. Or you would see an advertisement on the road or something like that. You would, and it would say dial star something 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 to get a loan, and then you dial it and you get access to loan. End to end, from the time you dial the short code to the time the money, you get the alert in your account in less than sixty seconds. Interesting. We don't ask your name, your wife. We don't care about all that. Just dial. We know you. We'll find out. You get from from your calling details. Well, yes. By the time you call, it's when you call, we now go and start picking all your data from all the partners. And then we quickly credit risk you and all that. And then this within within 60 seconds. Yeah, 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 within a split second. We just go and get all the data, analyze it, and quickly shop, shop. And you say, okay, this guy is 10,000 naira. Okay, so let's say I get that. The bank is the one giving the loan. So how does the model work for you? Mm -hmm. How do you split the pie? Okay, well, I can't talk about specific economics, but there are five participants in every loan transaction. So um, the way that our current product, Quick Money, works, um, it's an ecosystem. So it's almost like we all, like I said, he would chop a loan, die a loan. So whoever owns the mobile number, as which telco, they, they will chop, you get. Whichever bank short code is dialed, they will chop. Uh, we will also chop some small. Uh, if it's an agent that's doing the transaction, the agent will chop. Who is the agent? Um, so if it's an agent network, for example. Right. You know, the agent will also chop. Um, if it's a retailer where you like maybe walk in a US POS, the POS guy will chop, the retailer will chop. Like if we all have small, small fees that we end, you know, we chop inside each each loan. Interesting. Um, so again, everybody eats. Everybody eats. But then you're chopping somebody's um, pie, which is if I was doing it, if I were, I'm a microfinance bank extending that loan to somebody, sure. I will have all the pie to myself, right? Sure. But then right. you have but to also. You, have you, have, you don't have. You have to build the distribution. You have to build the tech. You have to get the capital. You have to build the product. There's a lot of stuff you have to build. It would take you years, literally years. So, if you, you can build it. <laughs> yes, yes. But have you had some of those? So, what are what are the key significant differences you made for a microfinance bank in terms of how much they would they are now lending compared to how much they would have through you compared to what they are lending before? That well, would justify we tend that to, we t- so most of the microfinance, but even the microfinance banks can't really serve customers at the loan sizes we typically give. So we give loans anywhere from 500 naira to 500,000 naira. I mean, um, uh, yeah, that's about right, yeah. 500 naira yeah, to, to 500,000 500, 500, naira. 500, yeah. And um, um, what's the volume per day? Are you doing? I uh, can't talk about that either. But um, but we're certainly doing, um, let's just call it thousands of loans a day. Thousands of loans a day. Yeah, thousands of loans a day. So there's an exposure for those kind of people to be on that platform because yeah. then they can get more uh, More loans. customers. They also learn how lending works. The banks get a bit more sophisticated over time. 
Um, so this whole space will evolve, right? The banks are going to get un- a better understanding of retail lending. We're going to start offering more products, cheaper products. Right now, it's, you know, the interest rate is pretty high because the consequences for not paying are high. I mean, sorry, the consequences for not paying don't exist. So if you don't pay, nothing happens to you in the U.S. If you don't pay, it hits your credit and you can't get a flat, you can't, go t- can't get a job. There's so many things that happen to you if you don't pay your loans. But here, there's no such thing. So default rate is pretty high. So we need regulatory support, for which is happening now with BVN Watchlist and the like. So you can put people on BVN Watchlist when they don't pay. But it's not all the banks are enforcing it. So as that starts to get enforced, I think people start to feel the pinch of not paying. Also, we're working with partners to have various enforcement strategies, like, you know, working the banks to debit your account or, you know, blocking you from using certain services if you haven't paid and things like that. So there needs to be some enforcement for those. But as that happens, the interest rates and the price of the loans will start coming down um, when the risk is, is lower. So, so, but, you know, the model is basically, you know, out of the interest that, you know, that the customer pays, you know, all of us, you know, get a little, a little small piece for kind of partnering to make that product happen. I want to ask another question about how, where all of this would go to in terms of, I can see you're very passionate and nationalistic about people's well-being in this community, in this economy. And, and I have some concern around um, credit culture and what it has done sure. in, in, a, in a place like UK or US where mm. uh, people just live on credit and 25-year-old person is, in, is mm. just living on loan. Mm. And, and how does that change the culture of people? Are, are you concerned about that? And, and if you are, or if you're not, why? And if you are, what are the key things that you're doing to... I'm not concerned in the least. I think you'd have to take a holistic view on these types of things. If you, let's take a step, let's, let's up-level the discussion. The U.S. GDP is about 17 trillion. 70% of their GDP is driven by consumer spending. 70% by consumer spending. Most people in the U.S. spend money through credit cards. So most of their GDP is driven by consumer credit. Right? Think about this. I'll say this again. Most of the U.S. GDP is driven by consumer credit. You come to a country like Nigeria, which has zero consumer credit. What do you think will happen to our GDP if there's a huge consumer credit uh, economy here? Gonna, it's going to multiply, right? So I, I strongly believe that consumer credit is an enabler for national, as I've said it, you know, earlier, national economy, national infrastructure. It's really important that consumers have access to credit. Not only that, in the U.S., you know, I, I don't know the exact figure, so don't quote me, but let's just say roughly that the middle class is maybe 60% of society, the lower class is maybe 20%, upper class is 20%. In Nigeria, upper class is like 10%, middle class is like 10%, and lower class is like 80%. Mm-hmm. Okay? In order for that 10% middle class to move to 60%, it has to be on credit. Right? The only way the middle class in the U.S. exists is because you can get a car loan, you can get a school loan, you can get a medical loan, you have medical insurance, you have all these financial facilities to help you advance without having the resources in your hand at the time. So you get something forward because you know there is an ability for you to pay it exactly. later on. Sure, sure, sure. But they don't really. It's just that the enforcement strategies are, the enforcement mechanisms are there. You have credit bureaus. You, have, you can enforce agreements. You can sue people and the courts will actually give you a judgment. You can do the same thing in Nigeria, but as you know, it's not as, it's not as, uh, not as structured. So, so we fundamentally believe that for Nigeria to grow and advance as a nation, and this is why I'm so passionate and maybe a little bit nationalistic about it. For Nigeria to advance as a nation, it is important that consumers have access to credit and then small businesses have access to credit. Um, look at what happened in 2008 in the U.S. when that credit dries up. It really affects the global economy. So, you know, we just fundamentally believe that people's lives are enhanced by access to credit, that they can climb the social ladder, that they can improve their life by getting a car loan or a school loan, get access to facilities, or even just, let's say, you could only get school fees. That's the only thing you could get. Imagine if everybody in the, in the country had, had their money for school fees. Hmm. That alone would change Nigeria in 20 years because all of a sudden all of us would be educated. 
Yeah, and the schools will be better because they have money. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so just think about. I mean, it, it is just it is completely transformational to have a large consumer credit business now. If somebody says to me that they would rather trade that away because a few people get addicted to credit or something like that, I would say, okay. I mean, that's your perspective, but I just disagree. Right? So I think just like any available facility, some people get addicted to gambling, some people get addicted to drinking, some people get addicted to credit. I think you know, you know, it's usually a very small percentage of the population, and I think that's, you know, that's every individual's choice. But as a nation, I think it's very, very, very important that we have credit. Yeah, so that's how I see it. Okay, seeing that way, actually, it, it put it in perspective. Mm. Uh, because I've, I've seen the effect of the sure. payday loan in, sure, in, sure, in sure, very sure. poor communities in, in the UK. But remember that, but pay, very that payday small. loan is different. So, so payday loan in the, U, in the US or the UK are people on the lower ends of society that are really trying to kind of make by day to day. The reason we have payday loans in Nigeria today is only because there's not an existing credit system. The payday loans are going to shrink to a small percentage of the loans over time, just like they would in the U.S. And the problem is that when you are building credit, you need to learn who will pay and who will not pay. So you need those loan cycles to actually be very short so you can quickly learn. If you're giving out 12-month loans, by the time you realize that your algorithm is not working, it's two years. <laughs> Whereas if you're giving two-week loans, it's four weeks before you find out whether it's not working. you get so it's very important to have short-term loans in the beginning as you build up a credit market. And as the credit market matures, you then go to less expensive loan products and the like. So let's talk about, lastly, about how to do business in Nigeria. Before I met you, one of the key things I heard about you was uh, you need to be in the kitchen. He understands how to adapt to Nigerian business. Even though he came from the U.S., mm. he grew up in Nigeria, but he came from the U.S., but he learned how to adapt and also and now. Tell me key things, and so especially for those who are listening to this, who are probably thinking of moving back to Nigeria. How do you do business in Nigeria? It's totally different from the US or the UK. Nigeria is hot. Say <laughs> <laughs> <a> hot place. <laughs> um, I think. Look, and this is this is this is what I this is. I think one of the, you know the, the discussion of my previous failures. I think um, uh, feeds in heavily. I, I think there was a level of humility I came in with from the U.S. because I had failed before many times. And there's a little bit of pain that's in the back of your head that said, I don't want to taste this thing again. That if I do this again, I'm going to listen this time. I'm going to be more humble. So when I came into Nigeria, I, you know, when a lot of repats, a lot of us suffer from this. You've seen what life could be like. So what people come back, I hear this a lot, even my friends that have come back to Nigeria and then they run back again. They come and say, ah, why don't we, why aren't we doing, look at, uh, look at CBN, they're not, uh, they're not thinking well. Uh, look at uh, the regulator, they're not progressive. Look at the banks, they are so slow. And complain, 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 complain. Meanwhile, People are here living their day life every day and they're making money and they're moving and living their lives. So you can come and criticize them um, for not being like the U.S., but there is their own system in Nigeria. There's a system of doing business. The difference between U.S. and Nigeria is that nobody has written it down here. So there's no way you can go and learn. You only learn by trial and error. You have to jump into the fire. Um, but you need to come in with the attitude of I will adapt myself to the system rather than trying to adapt the system to me. So a lot of people come back from US with a superiority complex. I've been abroad. I'm bringing my Hawaiian strategy. I've been to McKinsey. I've been to Harvard. I've been to this one, this one, that one, that one, that one, all right? And you say, okay, I'm going to change Nigeria. I'm going to do this. Not changing Jack. <laughs> 
when I came from America, I was like, I'm coming from Stanford. I have PhD. I have this. I have that. They were looking. Eh, okay, no problem. I was, <laughs> how they, I was speaking grammar. Grammar. <laughs> so I'm getting a bit local. That's but, fine. you know, but, 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 but um, you know, I was in the same boat, right? So I came back. I was like, I have technology. I have something, 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 something. I quickly learned and nobody gives a crap about my bloody technology. <laughs> No, it's just it's a like, how far we go drown now. <laughs> that's Wait, what that's what the they want. Yeah, they how we go drown. <laughs> that's <laughs> what they want to know. So, um, so I quickly learned that nobody cares about my technology, right? That technology is a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. That my education is a means to an end. It means that I'm trained to be a little bit more efficient in how I run business, maybe how I think, but doesn't deliver the business success. Right, what delivers the business success in Nigeria's relationships and understanding how the system works and very quickly adapting yourself. So, like I said, when I came, I listened. You know, I went to find the partners. You know, Etisalat helped a lot telling me, oh, God, nobody's so weird to do, I'm here. This is how we have to shape the product. They won't, if, you, if you write it like this, nobody will understand. Things like that. And it really, I mean, I really owe them a lot. It really helped. Same thing with the InterSwitch guys. Same thing with other, every other partner, the guys in the bank. You know, everything I wanted to do. Oh, God, we can't, chairman, we can't do that too because of CBN. I said, why not? I said, CBN will come out. No, 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 okay, we can't do that because of CBN. And it took me a while to understand. You, you can't. <laughs> it's their own system, right? So I think, so what I've just tried to do is be open-minded and humble. I just believe that, that it's just important to, you know, if we want to change the system we have, it's important to embrace it the way it is and then try to change it over time. I, I just, I don't think criticism and complaining, I, I just, I don't see how that's helpful. Right? I don't see how it's helpful to go and read about how they've done things in the US or the UK or Europe or even GDPR, any of these. Who cares? This is a different country. It's our environment. Who cares what they did abroad? I don't give a crap what they did abroad, you know, how they do things abroad or how things, quote unquote, should be done. This is how things are done in Nigeria and you do it. But it's a place of learning and adapting. That's true. That's true. You have to adapt. Show the proper amount of respect, yeah. humility, greet the right people, yeah. help people, you know. Acknowledge the right people. Knowledge, you know, things like that. So I just, I, 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 think, I think, you know, Nigeria is kind of over-criticized for many things that I think are a little bit unfair. And I think they're born from a place of, again, going by putting my nationalistic hat on. I think they're, they're born from a very paternal, kind of colonialistic point of view, right? Which is, hey, you know, we have figured out how to run a society. I'm going to tell you the right way to do it, which I resent, you know? And so Nigeria has its own system. It's not perfect, but it has a system and, you know, I follow the system. And you're able to build a successful business out of that. Yeah, well, hopefully we're not there yet. So let's talk, let's finally talk about where you are now. You've just finished raising your Series A yeah. and the company's growing. What's next? Working with more and more banks, more and more telcos, uh, trying to get the loan products in front of more and more people, have more people get access. And one of the interesting things about us is that um, because we're not strictly on smartphones or not on Android, we can reach the masses. So it's not just the richest people that can access our products. We are available to everybody. That was very important for us from the beginning, philosophically. I moved back to Nigeria to help the country, really, really. Of course, like I said, I make no apologies. I'm a businessman <laughs> and I'm an evil man, so fine. But really, I think it's to help the masses. And most of the masses don't have smartphones. Smartphone penetration is 25% Interesting. Right, in Nigeria. So, so I think it's important that the masses have access to these products for the country to, to, to succeed. And we're very focused on, on doing that. So 
working with more telcos, more people that have agent networks that we can get into like remote places in the north, you know, that don't have access to a bank and so on and so forth. So those are the things we're going to be concentrated on. We're going to be concentrated on uh, identity, right, um, around like BVN or other versions of identity like the payment bank, you know, identity now that, you know, that, uh, that's associated with the new payment bank regulation, but allowing more and more people to come into the banking system so that we can then extend credit to them. And remember, extending credit to them gets them started on a lifelong journey of prosperity, right? So you say, okay, ah, you're, what, what, what's 10K going to do for somebody? That's actually not the point. Is that the 10K generates a history of whether you're a good borrower or bad. From that 10, you can now get 20. From the 20, you can get 50. From 50, you can get 100, you get. And over time, you get access to two to five million or whatever it is, right? So it's it really important that people get access so they can start. If yeah. they never start, they remain isolated. And it can grow up to you having a mortgage. Yes, it can absolutely grow up to you having a mortgage, which is what happens in more developed countries, uh, you know. And so um, we really see the future, you know, um, and us playing a major role in that future in assisting the banks with the technology they need to offer these services, um, assisting the telcos participate in the financial system you know, in a way that is not going to violate regulation. Helping the merchants work with the ecosystem so that they can also offer this to their customers. And then helping the regulators have oversight. You know, all of our records are digital. We're audited by CBN. CBN has come and looked at the records. So you can see the transactions. You know what's going on in the economy. And so we just think all around that everybody wins with our, you know, particular approach. I want to keep pushing that. Um, we're also looking at expanding into, into Asia or South America. Uh, I'm going there next month. So we want to take you know, technology that we've built in Nigeria and deploy it in other, in other markets around the world. Um, so the exportation of our ideas and our expertise is really important. And also you know, being seen as a, as a net exporter of, of technology rather than a net importer. right? And people know that, look, there are these Nigerian guys <laughs> that do credit. Which, and we, we get a lot of inbound requests. I've gotten inbound requests from Estonia, Estonia, Egypt, Brazil, Indonesia, Myanmar, uh, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Germany, US. I mean, they're all like, this thing you built in Nigeria, wow. Can we put it in our bank? Can we put it in our telco? Can we put it in our shop? Can we put it in our this? Greece, Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, I just, you know. And you're looking at Zambia. the market at some point. Yeah, well, I mean, we have to choose one. We have to choose one market. But, so we're looking at choosing the next market, but we have a lot of inbound requests purely on the reputation of what we've been able to build in Nigeria and the fact that we're so partnership driven. So those people are looking in their own markets. I said, ah, okay, if the banks in Nigeria and the telcos in Nigeria can work with mines, then we can work with mines too, right? Because it'll enable us to, to push this in our own country as opposed to if we were trying to come in and sort of disrupt you know uh, so after countries. one let's say you choose one the next goal is global domination right ah, i don't know about domination i mean uh, like i said i think one of the things i've learned in my in my many failures is not to have too much pride i think um look there is a multi-trillion dollar credit market globally if we are able to get one percent of the global market one we will be a multi-billion dollar company easily <laughs> so there's so much room, even in Nigeria, there's a lot of room for multiple players, right? And it's, it's good to have competition that drives you to improve your products quickly and give customers the best experience. So we are just trying to continually iterate on the types of products we give, making sure that people have access to them in convenient places. When you want to buy drugs, you have loan. When you want to go to school, you have loan. <laughs> when you want to buy food, when you want to, you know, whatever, I don't know, uh, take a trip, you have loan. I want to continue to try and do that. So more distribution partnerships, more partnerships, more partnerships, more partnerships, and then um, improve the loan products, you know, extend the loans from short term to longer term, give larger amounts, 
going to small business loans, all types of things like that. And then go into other countries that have the same problem as Nigeria and do the same thing. So we're going to probably pick one new big market. We're probably not going to do, you know, the next market is not going to be like Ghana or something like that. It'll be somewhere. It'll be somewhere totally different from it won't be, Africa. It won't, be, it won't be in Africa, no. Again, okay. it'll be another big market, bigger than Nigeria. It'll be a market bigger than Nigeria. At least you're on the way to probably raise another round of capital to do a lot of that. We will have to do that, yeah. Uh, luckily for us, we were able to, and I should say something about the capital raise because I think it's important for the ecosystem to understand. So another thing, you know, with my whole <laughs> nationalistic approach. So, you know, the, we have some wonderful international investors, but the guys who really drove the round were Nigerian. They you know, drove the round. They, that really drove the round, the, the, the funding, yeah. really Nigerian, right? So, you know, TPG, the massive investor, right? International investor, but the guy that sits on our board and is the partner at TPG is a Nigerian guy. Yemi Lalude. Yes, exactly. He's the chairman of our board. Um, you know, the guy that drove the due diligence in Nigeria and understood the market is Ecovisi, Nigerians. Uh, Singularity, uh, Nigerian. Uh, Trans-Sahara, Nigerian. Greenhouse Capital, Nigerian. First Ally Capital, Nigerian. Right? Um, now we have some wonderful international investors. WTIs in you know, Silicon Valley, Exceed in Silicon Valley, Persistent Capital um, in Amsterdam. I'm sorry, in uh, Switzerland. Velocity Capital in Amsterdam. We have um, FinTech Collective in New York. Nike Partners in New York. But the guys that really drove were Nigerian, right? And I'm very proud of that. Very, very proud of that. And it's when you necessary. said drove, they they led the round. They got they the led other the round. On the table. Got, yeah, you know, got the you know, led the round. Um, you know, helped package it, helped attract the other investors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, I'm very, very proud of that, right? Um, and I'm not saying that everybody has to take that approach, but a lot of times, because it's so frustrating, and it is frustrating, Nigerians, as you know, there's still a Nigerian factor, <laughs> okay? So it's a little harder, the terms are a little harder, and the negotiation style is a very Nigerian negotiation style, but... Um, the benefit of that, you guys, you get people who really know the market, who are really going to support you. Um, so we've got long-term investors with very deep pockets who will invest across multiple rounds um, and to want to see us expand globally. And so we want to uh, be on that path, right, um, so that we can, you know, grow a really global business. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's such a big market. We're not going to be everywhere. We're not going to have global domination. But I think, you know, a few large markets, you know, where we are you know, the main credit engine or the main credit platform that most of the institutions are using is kind of, kind of our goal. Awesome, yeah. awesome. I'm gonna end this conversation, it's been a long one actually, and I really, really enjoyed it. We could go on. I think I should get you back on another time to talk about some other specific stuff. Okay. I wanna end this with some fire and questions. I'll just throw that question to you, and then you give me like one sentence answer. There's just a few of them, so about four. So what is your biggest business pinpoint at the moment? Two, identity, meaning that BVN is restrictive. Uh, so because we can only lend to customers that have BVNs, it really restricts the people we can lend to. You know, there's regulation around who you can lend to, so we try and make sure we adhere to that regulation. Uh, we would like to see, which is happening, right, with this payment service bank and some other things, but we would like to see specific regulation around kind of tier one identity. So, so I think what CBN is trying to do is, is move people more towards BVN being the central thing, but BVN is very arduous. You need to do four fingers. It doesn't really, for somebody that's working in the farm, they don't have fingertips that can just record like that. So Interesting. Yeah, you know, when you, when you work in the farm, you're, yeah. you're, 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 it blends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so, it wears out your something. 
Wow. So they have actually infrared card readers, but they're um, infrared, uh, what do you call it, palm readers that can read the patterns of your palm for people that work in the farms a lot. Um, but it's actually quite expensive, like $400 or something like that. So we need some solution to incorporate the masses in Nigeria and not just, I'm not sure that BVN will be able to reach everybody. Now, if it is, fantastic. But it's it's a major pain point today in that BVN restricts the number of people you can lend to. Also, um, access, some of the access to this data from some of the banks and, uh, and so on and so forth some, can sometimes be a bit difficult. So we're not working with every bank. So if it's not a bank that we're working with, sometimes it's a little bit hard for us to get some of the identity data to approve the loan. If we don't know who you are, we're not going to approve the loan. It doesn't matter. So we need to verify who you are. We triangulate from your phone to your account to your BVN and make sure that you really are who you say you are before you can collect the money. Um, that's one. And the second one is um, is actually payment. So right now, because we can't do direct account debits and because there's not a big agent network for people to pay cash, it's a little bit arduous for people to pay. And sometimes some of the you know systems we connect to you know may not be as robust and payments may fail or we get a notification that the money has been paid but also hasn't been paid right so we, we inqu- inquire whether the money has been paid and it says no but they've actually debited the guy's account you know it's funny nigerian things right um so it creates some friction for some customers i mean i can imagine if i had if somebody had debited my account and i come to the loan and they say the loan is not paid i'll be very frustrated mm-hmm. so we have things like that that we need to really work on but that is difficult for us to fix because we don't own those systems right so those are really the two the two biggest things real identity and payments and then i would say the last thing is just enforcement which is you know regulatory enforcement of non-payment i think that would really really help bring down the price you know for everybody because once we you have enforcement people are going to be more inclined to pay and then if they're more inclined to pay, the price of the loans comes down. Do you have variable interest rate based on people's um, history with you? Yeah, exactly. All the, all of the, all the, the amount, you, the, the terms of the loan, the amount you get, the interest rate, all that's personalized. That's individual to people. Interesting. So some people get 5%, some people get 10, 15, depends. And people get different amounts. Some, some people get 500 naira, some people get 50K. It just depends on your... <laughs> on, you know, kind of what we can find out about you. And, you know, we don't, we don't have access to all the data in the country. So you can be, you can be dangote, but if we don't see your records, then we give you zero. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, it, you know, it, I think, um, you know, access, you know, to more and more data, particularly since we're so data-driven, um, I think will help. Um, so those are really the, 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 the key things, I think, in the business. I think I know the next thing I'm going to, uh, when, when, you, when I have you back on this show to talk about data, data, how to enable data input in Africa, how to use it, how to leverage it, how to build on product on top of it. But in, in the first place, actually getting data, data warehouse and other stuff, mm. and the challenges of that. Because there's data everywhere in mm. Africa, but mm. how do you collect them? I think that's something we're going to have a conversation sure, on. Sure, sure. And how we can sure. apply what you're doing now to other sectors. It'd be fantastic. But my, my, you know, one thing I would say is again, it's my nationalistic thing. This thing of like GDPR and it doesn't apply to Africa. It just it cannot work in Africa. It doesn't apply. There are too many. GDPR is a luxury of, of people who have a developed society. <laughs> we have access to normal basic things in life: food, yeah. water, shelter. In a place like Africa, where those things are not commonplace, you have to be able to relax on some of these issues to be able to provide the basic services. It's impossible to provide these services without data. Um, so I feel very passionate. Of course, it's my business and I have a you know, self-interest in making sure that that happened. But overall, it doesn't matter. It is really, really important that we not just take at face value practices that exist in the West for Western societies, which are built very differently from Nigeria, and that we come up with our own practices that apply to the needs and wants of Nigerians uh, so that they're more effective. So I, I, you know, I, you know, on, that, on that data issue and many of these issues, I can probably tell, even myself, when I came back home, I basically you know, decided I'm just going to leave California and California and I'm going to pick up Lagos when I get here. And I just think it's really important to do that across the board. Yeah. 
Yeah. And GDPR is the is the EU just to give some color. Oh, sure, sure for EU, the listeners, yeah. Yeah, it's the EU regulation about data data, data protection. privacy, data mm-hmm. privacy. So you have to make sure that the customer gives permission and all. we we do get permission from the customer. Um so it, but I just think that there should be a little bit more openness in the regulation in Africa because the need is much higher for the end services. We are very very careful to make sure we get customer consent and only access the data the customer gives access to. Luckily there, you know, there's some regulation that like Senate signed a digital rights bill that you know for things like credit and things like that gives you a little bit more a little bit more leeway so we're very happy about that but those are the kinds of things i think you need in africa to really push push this what is your number one growth metric what do you look at in your business to indicate that you're growing um well like anything revenue revenue <laughs> i mean we're growing you know we're growing pretty rapidly month to month you know but we tend to think of it as kind of loans and customers so how many people are we touching right rather than i mean you can make a lot of money giving airplane loans or something but you do like one or two loans a year you make 10 billion there okay fine but i think the impact that we're trying to have requires us to touch lots of people and so we tend to think of you know number of customers we've touched number of loans that we're giving out you know every day and making sure that that's growing and is that in millions now or hundreds of thousands um so customers that yeah so customers that have used it per, yeah yeah it's millions millions it's millions yeah. now you know very happy but i think there are there are you know there are also um at least one other i think there's one other player in the market that's sort of at that scale as well um, similar to you yeah yeah there's one other player yeah. with this kind of I, think so. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know their books, but I'm just yeah. saying. I think, but it's, you know, I mean, uh, no, it doesn't have, there's not a partnership approach. I just mean, I, yeah. you know, the, 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 the lending space is continuing to grow, mm-hmm. right? And I think the leading players are starting to get bigger and bigger and, and yeah. touch more and more people, yeah. Which book are you reading at the moment? Ah, uh, Digital Rights Bill. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a book. <laughs> I spend a lot of time reading regulation. Interesting. Uh, at least lately, the, just because... The Nigerian Senate Digital Rights Bill? Yes, correct. So I spent a lot of time... Uh, lately, I've been, you know, you asked me what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. So I've been reading a lot of regulation lately, um, just because there's been a lot of discussion, particularly with the Payment Service Bank, about, you know, what you're allowed to do, what you're not to do. And we just want to make sure that we don't have any any problems. I've been reading, I've been reading a lot of leadership books um, because I've been a software developer my whole life. Um, building a real technology company takes skill. It's not just hustle, right? I've been, I'm a little bit of a hustler. But if you're going to build a large organization, you need real political skill. You need leadership skills. So I've been reading a lot of sort of leadership books, books on scale uh, and how to sort of scale. But it's all really, it's all like work related. I haven't really yeah. been reading like novels or anything. Like yeah, that. I get it. Um, you, but sometimes you won't need it to read kind of novels. You just yeah. wind down a bit. Um, yeah. How big is the organization now? Mm, I wouldn't talk about that in public. Sorry. But you have staff in Lagos. Yeah, there's a lot of staff in, in Lagos. And yeah, you have staff in, staff in the U.S. In the well. U.S., yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Which business is getting you excited apart from yours at the moment? In the fintech space, I like the payments guy. I like the, the merchant payment platforms, the Flutterwaves and the Paystacks. Um, I really like them. I think they'll do well. I mean, it's something that's needed. Um, the Bitcoin guys are interesting. I'm not a huge fan of the blockchain, but they seem to be pretty, they seem to be doing some interesting things. Nigeria is one of the largest Bitcoin trading countries in the world. So we'll see what happens with blockchain. Although well, blockchain is really, at least today, is really only useful for like, Transaction registration, right? Um, it's not really, you know, yeah, people use it for remittances and so on and so forth. But really, that's just because CBN, it's kind of under the radar of CBN. Once CBN wakes up and starts, you know, really looking at blockchain, I think some of those avenues will, won't be as uh, free to, 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 to operate. So, but that's an interesting space. The, the Pagos, the solar space is interesting, right? And the solar space is interesting because. It's actually not the solar itself. It's what happens after the solar system is sold, right? Um, that's actually really interesting. Is it the 
the way they enable people to pay on a credit. The way they, they, yeah, they enable people to pay on credit. It's also a lot of times, you know, the solar guys, the people that need solar typically are the people that are most furthest removed from the typical banking and urban infrastructure. Mm. So they're bring, actually bringing people online with these solar systems, right? So, I, you know, you could end up having these solar guys that end up turning into like Amazon or something where they sell solar, then they sell this, then they sell that, you know, like it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, and so a lot of times these people in the rural areas, the solar companies, the only connection they have to the digital world other than their phone, right? And sometimes they don't even have a phone. Um, and so, so that space is, is, uh, is actually, you know, pretty, pretty interesting. I think there's a lot, of, a lot of hype around fintech. I think if you were to, if you were to look at the legitimate fintech companies in Nigeria, they're going to be less than 10. Interesting. You know, I think investable, meaning that would actually attract, a, you know, like a, a real seed investment at less than 10. So there's a lot of hype about, about fintech, but it's actually, it's actually pretty hard to pull off a fintech company in Nigeria. Um, a, you know, a real scalable one, right? Because you've got to have the right distribution and the right value proposition and so on and so forth. And you've got to have the right management team. And the problem is in Nigeria, because there's not a, a sort of an investment ecosystem and a tech ecosystem, a lot of the guys that are starting companies are very young. They're in their 20s with zero corporate experience. They don't know what they're doing, honestly. You know, most of these guys could be my children. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> and sometimes they, you know, they are my children. So, I mean, but I think, you know, there are no mentors. So one of the things yes. that I'm trying to bring, you know, I have a lot of experience in Silicon Valley and bring a lot of experience from, you know, building minds. And one of the things, I mean, one of the reasons I agreed to this interview, right? I've, you know, I've never done an interview before, right? So is, I think, part of my job, even though we've not had a successful exit or anything like that, but as what I would consider myself somewhat elder statesman in this space, is to, you know, bring some of that experience so other people can learn and get inspired. We need Nigerians to build this country. You, you, you will see this running theme in everything I say, right? And it's part of the reason I moved home. It's really important to me um, that, that we build this nation. And um, that requires these young people to have mentors, guidance, examples, of how things are done in, in places that are a little bit further ahead of us and have learned these lessons. It's not that they're smarter. They've just that they've got there first and they've learned, right? So um, we need to bring some of that experience back back into uh, into the country. So these guys that are starting, you know, they don't, sometimes they don't know how to structure a meeting and yeah. run a meeting. Just like, as you know, basic as, as that. As basic as that, right? They just, they, I mean, it's great. They're smart guys. They hustle and they're smart and they can code a little bit and they build some solution. But to build a company, you need to execute, scale, hire, you know, um, put processes in place and think very structured and not do 10,000 different products, which everybody in Nigeria wants to do because the opportunity is there. You need to focus and go deep, 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 deep in iterating on that product. And it takes, um, it takes time to learn how to do that and it takes experience. You know, even when I started this company, they paired me with a mentor. I would not have been able to raise my first round, even with my professor partner with my background but I had um, some guy who had been CEO of a SaaS company and the investors he was my mentor anyway but the investors insisted that when they invested that he helped me run the company initially initially they had to, you got someone to run the company with you well, not really run the company just to advise me to give very strong advice I would say like a side and by side the person uh, is in Nigeria as well no he's in the, he's in the US yes. but I was great I mean I, I love him to death he was really helpful you know when the investors were a little bit hesitant he was the one I went and talked to them and said no 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 it's okay yeah, I'll help him. Don't worry, I'll help him. Fantastic. You know, and um, so the problem is the Nigerian guys don't have that. I think it's part of the reason you're not seeing big exits, right? Because, you know, there's general country risk, you know, in Nigeria. But a lot of times the way these companies are built, people are learning how to do it on their own. Whereas in the U.S., you, yes, you learn on your own, but you've got a lot of mentors mm -hmm. that will tell you, go here, 
don't go here do this don't do that and you can get to scale faster because of it you let's make you make less mistakes because of it you become a better leader and a better ceo because of it so so i think uh you know these guys um the ecosystem would be helped um it's a process i mean we'll get there eventually but it would be helped by you know some of those um folks who have a bit more experience building these tech companies come in to provide help um so i you know um what i'd like to do i mean you know let's see how much time i have but i'm trying to do a little bit more providing um a uh, an example uh, mm. of uh, of somebody that uh, you know young Nigerian can look and say ah, I think you can do it I can do it too you know or even come to me and say oh God, how 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 do you do this thing and I'll say okay I don't know how it worked for you but for me it worked like this maybe you can use that as you know information for your decisions that's good I think that is a good note to end this conversation Fantastic. it's been really really good I knew it's going to be great when when we agreed to it I, and I've also heard that you don't normally grant interviews so I was yeah. really chuffed when when you said yes so it's been fantastic it's great and i'm very very sure we're going to have you back <laughs> to talk about more things in a deeper way thanks thank for you, coming thank you Dr. i appreciate really appreciate building the future podcast season three is brought to you in partnership with flutterwave flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to africa and building new businesses out of africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. You've been listening to Building the Future podcast by Dalton. These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future, and you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you, and it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T-H-E-S-T-A-R-T-A.com and sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks. Thanks.